0: As I mentioned, we have been considering these topics of sin, righteousness, and judgment in Romans chapters 1 through 3. Now in Romans chapter 4, Paul presents a case study of Abraham, the forefather of the Jewish people. And by presenting this case study, this example, he is fleshing out what it means to be justified by faith. Right? This is a phrase that we encountered in Romans chapter 1, but here, and he builds on the other things through these, the other chapters, but now here in Romans chapter 4, he's laying out this example and he's describing what it means to be justified by faith. So I want you to pay close attention because the word always is wonderfully illuminating by itself, without any commentary, without any messages. So just read the word, and it will bring life to you. But I want you to pay close attention as we read from Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 25. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about but not before God. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Don't don't miss these these blessings that are coming here from Psalm 32. Because these are the blessings that are stated for those who receive the righteousness of God. What is the blessing? Their (laughs) sins are covered. Their sins don't count against them. The penalty for their sins has been paid. What a glorious truth. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is then also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless, because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith, And gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us. To whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. If you didn't know anything about Abraham, who he was, what he did, how he lived, you would conclude, rather reasonably, after reading Romans 4, that Abraham was a mighty man of faith, that he believed God and did not waver in unbelief even when the circumstances were entirely hopeless, and that he continued to grow in faith and glorified God through all his life. Now Abraham's life is chronicled in Genesis chapters 11 through 25. And I want to encourage you read those chapters this week. Just go back and read that. It won't take you very long so that you have a fuller understanding of the life and times of Abraham. Right? For this morning's consideration for our study this morning so that we have a shared context for Romans 4 I want to go through a high level summary of Abraham's life I'm highlighting just the events that relate here to Romans 4 and again, again, I encourage you read Genesis chapters 11 through 25 for the full details, right? And as I state the scripture references where you will find these facts about Abraham you will notice that some of these references that I'm stating are from Acts chapter 7. And you may remember from our study of Acts that when Stephen, the first martyr of the faith, the first person who was put to death for the sake of the gospel, right? when he was questioned before the Sanhedrin, he began his response with a recounting of Abraham's life and faith. And you may remember that Paul, the author of this epistle to the Romans, was a witness to Stephen's martyrdom. And most likely he would have been standing there along with the Sanhedrin when Stephen was making his statement. And here now in Romans 4, Paul makes a very similar statement about Abraham's life. So what's the summary of Abraham's life? In Genesis chapter 11 verses 27 through 29 and Acts chapter 7 verse 2 to 4, Abram, which was his original name and which means exalted father, was born and raised in Ur of the Chaldees, a city located in the land of Mesopotamia, close to where the Tower of Babel would have been. So right here, this is the modern day Iraq. This is where... Abraham and his family were, it was close to where the Tower of Babel was and so that's where he, that's his origin and then in Joshua chapter 24 verse 2 it tells us prior to his conversion Abram was a worshipper of idols along with his family Acts chapter 7 verse 2 tells us God appeared to him and Abram became a believer in the true and living God in Yahweh Genesis twelve one and Acts seven three, he Abraham was commanded by God to leave Mesopotamia for a new land that God had promised to show him. Genesis chapter twelve verses two to three, God tells Abraham that he will be blessed and that through him all the peoples, all the nations, the ethnics, ethnic groups, the ethnos, the nations on earth will be blessed through Abraham. Genesis chapter twelve verse four. He arrives in Haran, which is up here, so he sets out from Ur, they journey up through what would have been Babylon and Mari, and they arrive in Haran up here, along with his extended family. He arrives in Haran with his father Terah, an extended family. They lived in this area for maybe about five years or so, when you read those chapters. You will notice some dates that seem a little different. There's an explanation for that. Glad to talk about it in the sermon discussion on Wednesday. But they lived in in Haran for about five years. And then Terah, Abraham's father, died in Haran. And Abraham departs from Haran at age 75. (laughs) In obedience to God's renewed call. So he's now journeying from Haran. Terah has died, and he's journeying from Haran down into this area, into what's the Canaan area. So Genesis chapter 12, verses 5 to 9, he arrives in Canaan, part of which is modern-day Israel, which is the promised land of God, and he builds an altar at Bethel, which means house of the Lord. Bethel is between Shechem and Hebron, so it's about here. right? So that's where Bethel is. And so he builds an altar to the Lord there in Bethel. Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 through 20, he goes to Egypt during a famine in Canaan. So he comes down here into Egypt, into this area. This area would have been that fertile Nile crescent and would have continued to have food. This is the same kind of thing that you will read about when you read about Joseph much later and why there was food in that area in Egypt even though there was famine in the rest of the world. But in this situation, similar situation, Abraham comes down to Egypt, and it says in Genesis 12, 10 through 20, that during that famine in Canaan, Canaan when he came, came to Egypt, he lied that his wife Sarai, whose name was later changed to Sarah, he lied that she was his sister, because he feared that the Egyptian ruler, the Pharaoh, would kill him and take Sarah for himself. Right? So he lied about Sarah. Genesis chapter 13, verse 4, he returns to Bethel and again worships God. Genesis 13, 14 to 17, God again promises to give him the land of Canaan. Genesis chapter 15, I'm skipping a few things, but Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 5, he is promised a son and that he will become the father of a great nation. Genesis 15, verse 6, he believes God and is declared righteous due to his faith. That's what we read about in Romans 4. It's a reference to Genesis 15, 6. Genesis 15, 7 through 11, he enters into a blood covenant with God. It's a dramatic sort of account of him, you know, of that whole covenant and what God does and how God comes himself and walks in between the animals and so on. Uh, Read all about it. Genesis 15, 12 through 17, right after that incident where God is establishing that covenant, in a sleep that God, that, that Abraham is in, in a dream, God reveals to him that his descendants will be enslaved in a foreign land for 400 years, but then depart with great substance and possessions. He doesn't even have this child that God has promised him. And God's telling him, Your descendants will go to a foreign land and be enslaved there for 400 years. Amazing. Genesis chapter 16 verses 1 to 3, at the advice of his barren wife Sarah, he marries Hagar, Sarah's handmaid, so that he could father a son through her. And in Genesis 16, 15 through 16, we read that Hagar gives birth to Ishmael when Abram was 86 years old. As we continue, Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 to 5, God appears to Abram when he was 99 years old. 99 years old. And changes his name to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. Just think about this. You're called from Haran at the age of 75, you're now 99. And God has told you, you'll have a child, and your descendants will do this, and this will happen. And now he says, and I want to change your name even. I want to change your name to father of a multitude. Wow. Before the child is even born. Genesis chapter 17, verses 17 through 22. God reassures Abraham that Sarah will give birth to a baby boy who is to be named Isaac, which means laughter. Genesis 17, 23-27, Abraham circumcises himself and all the males in his camp after God initiates or institutes circumcision as the sign of the covenant between God and him. Genesis 18, 1-15, Abraham is visited by the Lord and two angels who again reassure him of Isaac's birth which is now going to occur in less than a year's time. Genesis chapter 20, verse 1 and 2, after all of this, he moves to Philistia. So this is, you know, the Philistine area In this area right by the coast. And so he moves into that area as such. And as he had done in Egypt, he again lies about Sarah being his sister for fear that he will be killed and that she will be taken. Again, he lies. Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 to 8. Isaac is born. When Abraham was hundred years old, and Sarah was ninety-nine years old. Genesis chapter twenty-two, verses one to ten. Abraham offers up Isaac on Mount Moriah at God's command. I'm I again read these chapters in Genesis. The details of these stories are so wonderfully laid out. Read them, but I'm just telling you. Genesis twenty-two, one to ten. Abraham offers up Isaac on Mount Moriah at God's command. Genesis chapter 22 verses 11 through 13. He is directed by God to kill a ram as a sacrificial substitute in place of Isaac. Genesis chapter 22 verse 14. Abraham calls the name of that place on Mount Moriah Jehovah Jireh. Which means the Lord will provide. And about a thousand years after this incident, King David selected Mount Moriah as the site of the temple that Solomon would later build and about 2000 years after this incident Jesus, the final sacrificial substitute in place for all humanity was crucified outside Jerusalem very close to the temple mount, very close to Mount Moriah Genesis chapter 23 verses one to two tells us that Sarah died at age 127. And in Genesis chapter 25 verse seven to 11, Abraham dies at age 175. I trust that you are seeing, even from this very brief summary, that Abraham's life, his journey of faith, was a very long and challenging journey this wasn't some simple thing this wasn't an easy oh yeah i got it you know man of faith right abraham made many mistakes both he and sarah laughed at the idea that they would have a son together he was not perfect or blameless and yet romans chapter 4 verse 3 says that abraham Believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And in light of all that we have learned about sin, righteousness, and judgment in the previous weeks, here's the important point I want to make to you about what God did. God treated Abraham as though he was righteous. He's not saying you are righteous, He's not saying you've done all the right things, you've been perfect. He's saying I credited you, I treated as though you are righteous god is giving him for credit god is giving him credit for a righteousness that he did not possess god is imputing a righteousness to abraham he's giving him a right legal standing it's the same condition the same situation that we were talking about that god does for us the same thing is happening in the old testament there is no different salvation It's the same thing that the Lord is doing. He is imputing righteousness to Abraham. It's as if someone paid off your mortgage and accounted it to you, credited to you in the bank, and said, oh, in the bank's accounting, you're already done, it's all paid for, you're you're good. You didn't do anything, it was not any of your good works, you didn't merit it, you simply received it by faith. It's because Abraham serves as an example of, for us, of God's justification by faith that right after saying this about Abraham in Romans 4.3, Romans 4.4 4 and 5 says, Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift but as an obligation. If you're employed and you're you know, in some arrangement with that employer, When you receive your salary, you don't say, oh my, wonderful, what a great thing. You say, yeah, I was meant to get this. In fact, it's not enough. But, you know, we say wages are not credited to us as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly. He's not justifying the pure. He's not justifying the godly. He's not justifying the good. He is justifying the ungodly. When we were dead in our sins, when we were in our transgression, Christ Jesus saved us. That's the beauty of the gospel message and the beauty of the cross and the beauty of what the Lord has done for us. So that when we say God who justifies the ungodly, when we see that their faith is credited As righteousness. Salvation is not a reward. It's not that we did all these things and we got a reward. God said, Oh, for this, you know, this is not your incentive compensation, you know, at the end of the year. You did a good job here. You know, that's not the way that God is doing this. Salvation is not a reward for us, it is a gift. What a glorious, what a glorious truth. And so, what kind of faith did Abraham have? What do we learn from him? Well, faith in God is to know that God's reality, God's promises, God's provision, God's word, what God has done, what God says is real. When we look around at our circumstances and we don't see that, faith is to know that what God declares is true, what God says is real is greater than how we feel or how things appear. Our senses. Faith is saying, God, what you have said is true, is true. Even though I don't see it. Even though I don't experience it. Even though I don't feel it. You know, and if I don't feel it, how could it be true, right? Even then, Lord, I trust you. Faith. God promised Abraham descendants when there seemed no way for that to happen. Faith is holding on to what God says, despite our weaknesses, despite our mistakes, despite our feelings, and despite our perceptions. Oh, we say, oh God, I hold on to you. I hold on to you. And you know, faith in God is to focus on the facts about God not the facts that the world gives us. And again, there are plenty of facts that the world will give you about viruses and vaccines and care and mental health and treatments. And we've been talking about a number of these things. And the world will give you a lot of facts. But I want to ask you, do you believe the facts about God? You know, Romans chapter 4 verse 20 and 21 says that Abraham gave glory to God being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Abraham believed that when God said I will keep my word. I am not a man that I should lie. I will fulfill this promise for you, it didn't matter that it took 5 years, 10 years, 20 years, 25 years, he's able to say, I believe this fact about God. When God says, I am who I am, he says, I believe you, I hold to this. faith." is to focus on the facts about God and there's a whole bunch of facts about God that we have covered in previous you know study and when we've gone through the attributes of God himself and who he is what he means to us and how he deals with us, how he loves us and how he cares for us as a father, as a mother, as a, as a... You know, the Bible speaks in those ways, right? Not just as a loving heavenly father, but as a nursing mother that draws us in and holds us close to him. You know, when we think about these things and we talk about these things, and we, you know, even in the youth group in the last Friday we were talking about that he, he leans down, he picks us up, he puts us to his cheek. These are the words that are used of the Lord. These are the facts about God that he cares for us in these ways. That we would do this and we we talk about him and and, and there's so much more that you can see that are the facts about God. Faith faith is to say, Lord, I, I focus on these facts about you. I focus on these facts about you. And faith in God is to trust the word of God. Abraham didn't just think about God. Hmm. I think, therefore I am. I think about God, therefore he is. No. It wasn't just about thinking about God, having philosophical thoughts, some understanding. He didn't just believe that God was able, but he got to where he was unwavering in faith. And it took... It took that process, it took that journey, it took that development in him to get to where he was unwavering in faith that if God has said this, then God would do it. That if God says, I will have a child in my old age, then I'll have a child in my old age. That's where God has given a specific word and Abraham is believing the specific word of God for his situation. And I want, to, I want you to keep that in mind as we get to our point of application. But you realize here that God, as he's speaking and giving a word to Abraham, communicating directly with him, Abraham's, Abraham's faith in God's word, it's not extinguished, it's not diminished because of his mistake. It's because of his lying, because of his actions. Abraham is rather strengthened in his faith, that when he makes those mistakes, he runs back to God. He returns to God. And he says, oh God, your word is still true. And you are still true. And you are still the one that's here, that has called me, and I will look to you. Oh, I made a mistake, I come to you. I run to you. I need your forgiveness and your cleansing and your rest- restoration. But my faith is not based on my mistake. Remember we talked about this, that if our faith, if our righteousness, if our trust, if our salvation was based on our works, our faith, our ability, then when our faith falters or our actions don't manifest that we are walking with the Lord, we'll say, oh, too tough, too tough, this Christian life is too tough, this Christian life, I don't think it works. You know, I was praying and praying and praying, and you know, I did pretty well, but then look at this. Look at this. I couldn't help myself, but look at this. I don't think I can do this. And many have abandoned the faith, not because God was unfaithful, but because they made a mistake. And the joy that we have, the promise that we have, the assurance that we have, is not that we would look at that mistake in our sin, but that we would say, I have been made righteous, I have been justified, I have been set right in God, because of Christ Jesus. Oh, I can come back to Him. I made a mistake, oh, I come back to Him. And I draw on this infinite credit that the Lord has given. I draw on that. I'm not coming back to him and saying, Oh, all right, God, I made another mistake. Let me pay for this mistake. How much do I owe you? I'm saying to God, God, I draw on this line of credit that you have already established. You already credited righteousness to me. And I come to you. And I draw on that. Oh, what a joy. What a privilege that we can trust the word of God. In Hebrews chapter 11, we find a hall of fame of the people of faith. By faith, by faith, by faith, and just lists all these people. Here's what it says about Abraham. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 onwards. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. I know that there are some in our church, even, and maybe you are used to this, that you go, let's go on vacation. Let's just head out. We'll just head out on the road. We'll figure out as we go where we're going to go. Maybe. I, there are some who do that. There are some who do that. But for most of us, I mean, if God said to us, go, and you say, sure, God, where do you want me to go? I'll tell you as you go. Am I heading east, west? Well, you know, head north. That's it. Go. Would we, would we just go? You go, oh, you've got to give me some hint, Lord. You've got to tell me where I'm going. You need, to, you need to show me what's going to happen when I get there. You need to tell me who's going to be with me. And you need to tell me what kind of you know, resources I'll have. Because what happens if I go halfway and I don't have what I need? Right? Isn't that a legitimate concern? Isn't that valid risk management? I mean, Lord, you know, I need to know. Wouldn't we say that? But it says, Abraham obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. We're not citizens of this world. We're not citizens of any country that we come from, or that we're even in. We're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. If we don't understand that, If we don't look forward to that, if we don't believe that, we will return to where we came. And so, if they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. As you study the life of Abraham and what it means to be justified by faith, you can better understand why Hebrews chapter 11 begins. Verses 1 and 2 of Hebrews chapter 11 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. There's one more truth in Romans 4 I want to draw your attention to. Paul names three people in Romans chapter 4 by name. Abraham, David, and Jesus. It's a masterful way in which he employs the faith of Abraham, the forefather of the Jewish people, and the psalm of David, the revered king of the jewish people to get to the most important truth about jesus the savior of the jewish people having established that abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness and that david is confirming in psalm 32 verses 1 and 2 the blessedness of those who have righteousness credited to them then paul writes in romans 4:23 and 25 23 through 25 The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone. Not written for Abraham alone. But also for us. To whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins. And was raised to life for our justification. In that statement, Paul brings the Jewish and non-Jewish readers and listeners right to the Gospel. Back to the Gospel. He establishes that the Gospel message is in continuity with everything in the Law and the Prophets in the Old Testament. And he makes it clear that what is most important for us is what Jesus did. We all of us have been saved from our sins and justified by faith because of Jesus amen and so we respond and apply by living out our faith we don't boast about what we do look at me God look at all the good things I'm doing look at the exercise of faith, I stood in faith, I prayed in faith and look at the answers to prayer that I got. Look at that. We don't boast about what we do. Even if they're good, we don't boast about it. We don't cover in fear about our mistakes. We don't shrink back from God when we sin. We don't come to Him and say, Lord God, we didn't do this thing, therefore I know that I'm 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 terrible. We don't lose hope because of what we don't see we are confident in our relationship with God that He is our Father, that we are His children, we belong to Him and His word to us. This morning I want to ask you, what is the specific word of God that you have received? Maybe 25 days ago, what is it, one year and nine months is what, uh, 19, no, no, 21 months, so almost 25 months, you know, maybe 25 months ago, maybe 25 years ago, maybe 25 days ago. What is the confidence? What is the word? What is the promise that the Lord has given you? What is it that the Lord told you will be true for your life? Maybe he didn't tell you that you're being called to a place that you don't know. Maybe he did. Maybe he called you to the U.S., Maybe he called you on mission to some other place. Maybe he's done something in your life that you just didn't even know what would happen when you got there. What is the specific word that the Lord has given you? What is the promise that he made to you? What is, the, what is it that you stood on and said, this is of God? I want to encourage you that no matter how much time has passed, no matter what the circumstances, no matter how hopeless it looks, no matter how difficult that you would come to God and say, Lord, I believe you. I trust you. I stand on your promise and your word. I am confident that you will keep your word because of who you are, not because of me. I'm going to stand in faith. It's not faith in faith. It's not to say, I have great faith. It's, I'm going to stand on you. I'm going to depend on you. And I'm going to say to you, Lord, oh, this is tough. This is heartbreaking. This is difficult for me. And I'm going through this grief, separation, loss, difficult situation. And I don't know how to bear with it. We've made multiple references to Job. Job said, oh, I mean, this is tough. Yet, yet, yet will I praise you, Lord. Yet will I worship you. Yet will I stand. This morning, as we stand here, as we sit here, as we are joining us online, I can't say to you that specific situation that you're going through. That situation that's happening in your life that, that relationship That whatever Oh it's all going to be right I can't, I'm not giving you a prophetic word that to, to each of you individually For your specific situation In the next three days this is going to happen I'm not telling you that I, By all means wait on the Lord Listen to him Receive those words from him But I am telling you today Well, No matter what No matter what have faith in God our justification our righteousness our blessing our hope oh it's not because of anything else than because we have faith in God almighty this week what is the area you need to stand in? maybe it's for physical healing maybe it's for restoration of relationship Maybe it's for the establishment of a new relationship. And just not there. Maybe it is for financial need. Maybe it's for job. Maybe it's for some other provision. Maybe it is for a besetting sin that has overwhelmed you for all your life. And you say, Lord, God, I need to be free of this. I need to be, these chains need to be broken from me. What is it that you need to stand in faith for this week? I want to challenge you that you do that you look to the Lord because He is faithful. Heavenly Father, we thank You that, Lord, Your Word gives us such wonderful stories. Lord, if we had read just Romans 4, we wouldn't have realized what that full extent of Abraham's life was. But, Lord, You gave us all the gory details, all the, Lord, the... the The sin that he had committed and you showed us that in the middle of all of the things that Abraham did wrong he did one thing right, he stood in faith he had faith that your word was true that you were true, that you would come to Lord, come to pass, you would bring to to fruition and, and fulfillment what you had promised and Father, this morning For every one of us here, every one of us online, every one of us, Lord, we need to stand in faith like that for so many different situations, so many different needs. Lord, we need you. And so, Lord, we pray. We believe. We have faith. We come to you and say, Lord, we believe. Help us in our unbelief. Cause faith to rise. Lord, even for us to believe, even for us to be strengthened in faith is your work in us. So do it, Lord. Do a great work in us. Transform our thinking. Lift our eyes. Take our burdens. We cast them on you and cause us to walk. In faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.